Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Thanks thanks for having me on, Rob. Excited to chat. Yeah, it's great to have you, Paul. Talking uh, dentistry here uh, in our season uh, concerning uh, things to think about when you're purchasing a dental practice. Only the biggest decision of your career. Could be. Could be. It could be the best and the worst, yeah, too, yeah. right? Uh, as you say, and I, I, I quote you on. Well, I guess I don't quote you on. So I've stolen your right. your line a lot with this. I've Paul. stolen many of your lines. That's okay. <laughs> okay. I usually try yeah. to attribute things to you. Yeah, this yeah. one I do frequently, but it depends. If it's sort of like a condensed yeah. version, I don't have a little, lot of time for the setup. But you know, these are one transactions for most yeah. people, right? Don't mess up on your once things. I also, Rob, I want to just interject uh, at the time of this recording. Your main joke. Would really have come to fruition if the games had turned out differently, because you said a dual rep broker is like someone saying, "I'm a Cowboys fan, and also my other favorite team is the Eagles." Right, and you know that that doesn't uh, go together. So no. you know, it was close. It was close. The Cowboys didn't make it, but the Eagles are playing in the NFC Championship. Well, I mean, I'm going to give yeah, just to say, I, occasionally I will mix that up and say that you can't uh, you can't be a fan of both the Giants and the Eagles yeah, because that's also that's equally good too. applicable. I just think that right? the Cowboys and the Eagles have a special kind of, I think, you know, disdain no for each other. You no know? doubt. So no doubt. And you've come around. I yeah, think. Yeah, I, you know? I, I'm an Eagles fan now. I'm a, grow, I'm a, a recovering. Fan. You're a recovering. Recovering Giants, Giants fan. fan. Yeah. Okay. I was glad they were in the. I was glad they were there playing, but they did not show up well. So I'm glad you know Jalen Hurts and the crew were on their way to hopefully a chance at the Super Bowl. I feel like, you know, and, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because I have, you know, a good uh, college buddy uh, who's actually a dentist uh, who grew up in Tampa and he was a, a big Bucks fan. He still is a Bucks yeah. fan. But I think like once you, uh, if you're f- like a fan of another team growing up, like once you have kids, I think it's really hard to like kind of have that sort yes. of, you know, and then you make allegiance a little bit, to the other yeah, So I grew up, there's a good point. I grew up in central New Jersey where you could go Giants or Eagles. My fa- my dad was from New York. So it was it was on brand to be a Giants fan in Pennington, New Jersey. But I didn't want to turn my daughters into these kind of this quasi-odd Giants fan <laughs> right. walking around the city in a <laughs> Giants, Giants jersey, jersey, right? So, dropping them off at school. Yeah, so, and it's like, yeah, look at Daphne's dad, the Giants yeah, fan. Yeah, now one like, of the Eagles yeah. players lives in our building who's incredibly, incredibly nice and just, just a really good guy. So it's kind of like, there's good, better camaraderie. That's why I did it. Yeah, yeah. good, good. Well, welcome. Welcome yeah, to, to the nest, I know, so to speak. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. So uh, today uh, we're talking about the negotiation process of a deal and uh, how letters of intent, yeah. also known as LOIs, fit into that yeah. uh, into that mix. So, um, Paul, you know, today you're going to have two hats on, yeah. two helmets, so to speak. Yeah, I like that. Um, but not of opposing teams, um, where you're going to be talking about dentist and more clinical yeah. things, uh, but then also talking like a uh, like a broker, yeah. you know, because you obviously are, are involved in both of those worlds. So uh, 
let's walk our listeners through what the early stages are of the process. Somebody, you're helping somebody, you represent a, uh, a practice seller yeah. and a potential buyer stumbles into this opportunity and, and calls you up and says, I understand that you may have a practice for sale. Right. Paul, tell me about it. Let's, let's, Let's talk to our audience about what, what the early steps are. Yeah, this happens to us on a regular basis through calls, texts, emails, social media messages. So first, um, I discuss location. What I try to do, you know, as a new dentist, you sometimes would get yourself stuck with difficult patients because you didn't know what right questions to ask first. And now 20 years into my career, I know what questions to ask to streamline the process. So I dig into the location of the practice. You're usually able to share that without an NDA in a general sense, right? Mm -hmm. Counties, right? If I right. use my town, Mercer County, hey, this is in Mercer County. I want to share with you as the dental world has evolved, you know, when my dad came back from the Air Force, his requirement was I only need to work in New Jersey, the entire state, from right. Cape May to Union County, because mm -hmm. that's where their family was from. Now, just for context, dentists, spouses also have sometimes high power jobs or jobs in an area. So I will have people in New Jersey say, I can only work in Middlesex County. Mercer County is a deal breaker. So I first say, hey, okay. let's kind of give me your location flexibility. And sometimes it is the state of New Jersey, sometimes it is the Northeast. But interestingly, just for our listeners, and I think it has to do with both spouses often having very, you know, I don't know if it's high power jobs, but important jobs that they can't necessarily pick up and move to Pittsburgh mm -hmm. because there's a good practice. So first right. we we drill in, pun intended, to the location, <laughs> things I can share without an NDA. Um, I have had, you've introduced me to someone, I've probably looked at 50 plus practices in my life, only purchased four, I'd say, four uh -huh. or five. So I'm constantly you know, on the other side of that. So then we look into collections. What mm -hmm. does the practice collect? Right. Where is it located in ops? And I will share if this is a value as someone who plays both sides like the player coach. If someone after this podcast, Rob, said, there's a practice in Mercer County. Mercer County does a million dollars a year. Um, it has six operatories. I say, I want to see it now. I don't need to see the EBITDA. I don't need to see the P&L. So if our listeners get value out of working with brokers, brokers really like open-minded buyers mm -hmm. where they're at least willing to learn more, where mm -hmm. they don't close themselves off if the practice doesn't have a CBCT. So that's kind of my start to the process. And then we decide from that point, do they want to sign an NDA to learn more, a non-disclosure agreement. I right. can kind of kick it back to you and you know, you're know you my advisor. In general, I haven't asked you a lot of questions about signing an NDA. I will if there's a dual rep broker. Mm -hmm. I might even not sign it because of that, but maybe you could tell our listeners what are the risks of signing an NDA as my grandmother might say willy-nilly. I mean, not much when yeah. it comes to an NDA. I mean, an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, sometimes referred to as a confidentiality agreement, is just uh, an agreement with the seller that you're not going to misuse or publish or disseminate right. information about the practice. And really, other than to your advisor. Right. So you sign an NDA, it says you can share it with your attorney, with your accountant, bank, yeah. you know, your your bank, you know, and, and, and all that's all that's fine, that's fair game. So as long as you don't take the the tax returns and you know, post them online right. or put them up on Facebook, you know, and do things that are really, you know, it's somewhat intuitive, you know, common sense, yeah. like what you can and can't do, and they kind of operate like, you know, a good person, a, yeah. a normal human, then there shouldn't be anything in an NDA that poses a problem for you. And generally speaking, the NDA is going to say at the conclusion 
of negotiations, if it doesn't lead to the closure of a deal, that you agree to return and or destroy the documents yeah. and the confidential information that you uh, that you received. And, and again, it's confidential information, so the NDA is going to somewhat define what is confidential information. Yeah. So, like the name of the practice, for example, or you know the uh, the logo or things that are known to the public, yeah. or that's not confidential. The phone number is not confidential. The URL is not confidential. Um, but, you know, things that are not known to the general public is probably the best rule of thumb are confidential. Right. And that's the confidential information that you agree not to just, you know, throw out there into the public. So um, it, there really shouldn't be anything that, that's too bad in there where the uh, the action, so to speak, uh, occurs right. or the differences in those documents is really more uh, with the remedies, like what happens if you breach the agreement, breach the confidentiality agreement. And, you know, barring something that's really far out, you know, it shouldn't be too bad. Because again, this is like, you know, the age old thing. Like, this, don't the, worry. If you, if you don't like the, you know, like the old Beretta, we're going to age yeah. myself here and probably <laughs> even beyond you, right, Paul? You know, it's, he was the, 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 uh, the TV detective that drove oh, gotcha. the, uh, what was it? It wasn't a Camaro. It was it like, might be slightly before me. I don't know. What yeah. I'm to think. So, I, know, I know Knight Rider. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this guy, so Beretta, you know, he drove this, it was like, a, it was a white, it wasn't a Camaro. It was like a Trans Am maybe. Uh, and he had a, uh, a cockatoo that he used to, you know, sit on his oh. shoulder and that was kind of his thing and uh his 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 tagline always was you know yeah you know if you can't do the time don't do the yeah, crime yeah i know, you know that i know that and I know so that was beretta, that was beretta yeah. i'm learning i'm so, constantly learning so with this yeah. so it's like if, if you really don't like the re, you know the remedy or the penalty for violating these things it's sort of like well you know what just don't violate yeah. it within reason obviously but generally speaking you know the nda shouldn't be this monumental thing yeah. Um, yeah, it should be okay. So yeah, and in general, so yeah, keep walking through this. And then uh, after that they sign it, then I will share the practice location, the practice owner. I'll start to tell a deeper story. Let's just say we're looking at a practice as a million dollars. I'll say from our analysis, this dentist, their seller discretionary earnings, basically, you know, what the pr the owner makes as a solo operator, if you took over their life, they make $375,000 a year, right? And then I'm deepening this story. And then I really share, Rob, and I think this is my value as a dentist broker and knowing this and playing both roles. I say, now's the time to have a conversation or connect with the owner. Would you like to call the owner on the phone? Would you like to go and visit the practice? And then it really shows me how motivated the buyer is to purchase. So if they say, Paul, I'd like to see the dentist reports from 2019 before I do that. I say, I'm not going to give them to you mm -hmm. because there's nothing inside of those dentist reports that's going to prevent you from needing to meet this owner, right? Yeah, right. So then I see if they're motivated, they say, sure, what's their number? And I just, you know, kind of want to share it. It's a relationship building thing. And you're usually on a certain side of it, but brokers are managing both sides. We only work for the seller, mm -hmm. but we spend a lot of time talking to both sides. Oh, yeah, sure. That's the value. Yeah, you got to <laughs> start to develop a relationship, you know, talking with someone on the phone, just saying, why are you selling this practice? You know, I mean, one of the things I kind of said on many of our podcasts, brokers don't live inside the head of the seller. You got to ask them. Yeah. You know, the seller says, I'm tired, but I've worked for 30 years and I'm just ready to retire. Maybe they tell you throughout it that they're going to have a surgery soon. They never even told me, right? I, that could happen. So, yeah. you know, meeting these, they should tell us that. They should give us all the information. Mm -hmm. But I know you know as an advisor, so then I encourage them to uh, talk to the seller, 
meet them, I really encourage them to go see the office because you're gonna work. This is the place you're gonna work. Right. Imagine, Robin, I know this must happen with people moving across the country <clears> for apartments, but apartments are different than buying a home. Mm -hmm. You're renting it for a year. Mm -hmm. You're signing up for 30 mm -hmm. for this one. Go see the inside of where you are gonna spend a significant portion of your life. Yeah. And if you don't want to go see it, you're not that serious. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great litmus test. Right. Yeah. Great. Like, I was going to say the litmus test from science. And then, you know, then I'm also trying to help them with best practices, building their team. I use a basketball team. Your dental focused, you know, attorney is really to go to an accountant or start to develop those relationships. Because once we do turn over these documents, they're the ones who are going to help you with it. They're going to help you analyze the cash flow of the practice. Um, so that I'm hoping in that phrase, and then I'm encouraging them as we get into the LOI process to say, it's not required to have an attorney, but to me it's recommended because then you can maybe share with the listeners because a lot of things that you've helped me with is to go in the LOI, oh, set yeah. the tone for the deal. Oh, for sure. Yeah. LOI again, letter of intent is what we're talking about. Typically, and it should be a non-binding agreement, a non-binding document, you know, which means that if one party doesn't follow through with the deal, that the other party isn't able to sue them, yeah. you know, for money damages or to compel them to do that. Now, there are some provisions in the LOI that are typically binding. Yeah. So when you say it's non-binding, it's non-binding in that one party is not forced to sell and the other one forced to buy. Yeah. But uh, binding provisions in an LOI would be, sometimes we do see confidentiality yeah. language in that, obviously, that's binding. Uh, exclusivity yeah. or no shop provisions we talk about. And that's just saying that once the LOI is signed, that the seller agrees that they're not going to negotiate with other parties for a certain period of time. So, um, you know, from a buyer standpoint, the buyer wants that to be a long period of time or as long as possible to give them as much, yeah. you know, leeway to to negotiate the, the deal, get the documents done. The seller would like for that to be as short as possible because if things aren't going well at the negotiation or they may want to hold that over yeah. the buyer's head that, hey, I can get some other people in here and our exclusivity is running up next week. What are we going to do? Right. And so that gives the the seller leverage. So, um, you know, that that's an important thing. And that time period really matters. Uh, you know, we've seen LOIs with exclusivity provisions in there that are as long as one year, yeah, which, which is totally is not tough. so nuts for the, the seller. I also want to, we kind of totally. gloss over this, I think is important for our listeners. So first thing the buyer asked me is, what does the seller want to sell the practice for? What price? Mm -hmm. And what the seller says to me, and I really just, I want to hopefully be authentic and share the reality. Sometimes the seller, we have these long conversations about the purchase price, right? Like it's set in stone. And I say to them, if we get four people interested in this practice, you might get more than $750,000. Mm -hmm. If we get one person interested in moving to where you are, you might get less than the 750 we put on the asking price. Right. But to me, and you, we can have dialogue on this, It it's good to have an asking price, but it's important to understand that A, the LOI, what would, what's the language? It gives them the opportunity to recenter their deal or mm -hmm. to uh, it's contingent on financing right for oh, the deal. oh yeah one of the things that would be in an LOI would be a financing contingency yeah, yeah. and to some degree I, I wish i wish there was a world where i was selling my dental practice paul and jeff goodman we had a broker and i was getting just saying what's the best offer i get from people 
mm-hmm. without sort of this contaminated <laughs> 1.9 million on 2 million. We can, I've heard someone else get this. And I know it's, I'm not going to change this yeah, word, but world. It's like, but it, it definitely doesn't work that way. Yeah. I, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's honestly, let's, let's put the practice out to auction, yeah. right? But yeah, not the way it usually goes. It so. just winds up causing sometimes disappointment, emotional challenges for one side or the other. So I do strive to yeah. counsel the buyers to make a strong offer that they're realistic with. I think sometimes, and I, I don't know if brokers do this intentionally or not intentionally, you know, to make the seller happy. But I think if they say, we're going to get 900000 for your practice and it winds up at six seventy five, the seller's pretty disappointed. Yeah. You know. Well, unless unless, you know, you've counseled them properly right. and trained their expectations to say, okay, we can ask for nine hundred, but you know, if we get anywhere near seven hundred, you know, let's you they should also be, also should be it's funny we say it's like sometimes they go, let's ask for a million. So then if they say 800, I go, it's not ex- always exactly like a garage sale because right. they do need to ask this bank for money, right. right? You know what? I did sit down with someone once, Rob, but it was a seller and he said, I want to sell my practice for 700. I said, great, what's it do? He said, he said 500. I said, it usually doesn't work that way. He goes, but there's a lot of potential here. You know, that's one of your P words <laughs> along with principle. And I, yeah. that was when I used to go out to every office in person for these visits. And I, uh-huh. in that moment, I was like, I'm not going to take this guy's practice. Yeah. You know, so I just think there's a lot of, the LOI helps well, you manage. Can, you, ex- you can only fail. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like there's, I go, there's that's no- not a thing. I go, somebody yeah. has to give this person money, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I think it's a good between the negotiation and lie process, just a lot of managing expectations of both sides. Right. Seeing if they're serious. I mean, I don't, I don't know where, where do you guys usually come into most of these deals? It all depends. You know, different, different times and different places, depending on the deal. Where would you prefer deal. to come into the deal? As soon as possible. You know, like I like to be involved at the outset and we don't have to be you know, consistently involved in the back and forth. And it depends who's involved, yeah. you know, who the broker is, depends on the client, depends if the client also has a good CPA. A lot of times we'll let the, if a client has a good dental focused CPA, we'll let them kind of oversee and manage yeah. the the purchase price negotiations. Because I feel like that's really, yeah. those numbers have to be rooted in you know, something that's, you know, there has to be some basis for them, you know? And so I always encourage clients that when you're negotiating, you need to have like data behind you, reasons, you know, it's more compelling and more persuasive. If you say, I won't pay this because, but I will pay that because, and here's the way this works out. And then, and then people say, well, okay, yeah, I get it. You know, and maybe they won't agree to it, but you have a lot more credibility than we just come in and say, yeah, I know it's 900. 700. Right. You know, like, where'd you get that from? <laughs> yeah. 700. That sounds like and a I good also, number. I was but, but at least finished. So, yeah. but, so it's like 700 because here's the overhead. Right. This is what the cash flow looks like. These are the problems. This is, you know, after the person services the debt, this is how much they're going to make for being a dentist. And then somebody says, okay, yeah, well, that makes sense, right? right? Um, but otherwise, well, you're I was just frustrating. It was, in the, it was a, Sometimes brokers really mismanage expectations. And when they do, they're sometimes back of the napkin what this practice is worth. Mm-hmm. The seller never forgets it. And they have not yeah. asked a dental-focused accountant. Mm-hmm. No one's asked them, right? right? No one's even gone to a bank, right? The bank right. is like, I always say, the bank's like the mom of the deal. When we had plans as kids, we had to ask our mom if they were going to work out well, right? Yeah. You know, so my brother and I might say, we'll go to the mall. Mom was like, I'm not driving you. That was the end of it, right? We right. didn't have access to a car. Right. So I think it's kind of like some point connecting with a bank and discussing financing is important because you can have these people talking about what they're going to purchase something for yeah without any real confidence that someone's going to give them this money right and right. i've seen hours of time and 87 emails and angry text messages to my phone right, right. how dare they offer this and i say have you talked to the 
provides the Bank of America's, the Huntington Banks, you know? Yeah. And so I just think that's, actually, I was going to say, Rob, I mean, this is curious because sometimes sellers get upset with brokers when someone submits an LOI and they can't get financing and they say, you should have known about this. I'm actually asking this in a curious question. Where does the bank come into that this process most of the time? You know, it, well, I mean, I think my understanding is most lenders will lend up to 90% of, of revenue. Um, on a practice they like, though. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I mean, but it does a million only profits 200, they might not. Yeah. I mean, but I, you know, my impression and observation over the years is, and, and nothing against the bankers out there, right? They'll generally lend to something that m may not be absolutely ideal for. Right. For the buyer borrower, you can't ask right? them to. You can't ask the bank to protect you. Yeah, because the bank has asked me zero times in my life how much money am I making on something, or yeah. ask them later. They just want their two thousand three hundred seventy-two dollars a month, right, for ten years, right. And so, as long as they get that check, there's no more questions they need to ask. Which is usually like when you see situations where the bank's like, "No, I'm not gonna, we're yes, not gonna saying, lend that yeah. amount." <laughs> like for that reason, like that should be a little bit of a ah. Uh, then is, what am I doing? I always here? think it's like your friend who's like one of those daredevil friends, and like they might jump over canyons, they might jump out of uh, planes, and if they said this is too risky for yeah. me, I think you should pay attention. Yeah, right, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like I like to stay yeah. on ground level at all times, so yeah. I'm not a big risk taker in that regard. Right. But in business, I can be fairly risk taking, so I think it's a really good point, and that's why I also say connect with the banks really for relationship building because sometimes banks tell us too, and I I don't I don't want to you know be discouraged, but they say I got a letter from the bank that they'll give me a million dollars, right? I go on what practice? Any, no, they any, didn't yeah, say, right? right? Exactly. I, I actually think they mismanage your expectations so bad because we talk yeah. about the dental amigos of what you didn't learn in dental school. And yeah. I might've been the same way uh -huh. where I might think they'd give me a million dollars. And if I bought a practice for 600, maybe they would just give me the 400 because I'm so handsome, <laughs> right? They kind of make it seem that way, right? Right. Well, <laughs> you know, that's a great point. And let's just talk about that. It's a little off topic on the LOI, but let's, I think it's an important one, nevertheless, that, and when people get quote unquote pre-approved, right. that just means that you don't have bad credit, right. right? Dental practice loans are, you know, there's a threshold issue, you have to have good credit. And then, you know, the amount of the loan is absolutely tied towards the cash flow right. of the practice that you're buying. So, you know, the fact that you're approved really doesn't mean anything until you've been approved make to buy it's the a, it's practice. A, it's a gift certificate to buy the practice, yeah, right? Like right. I brought you those, like, here's my gift certificate. Can I buy, use it here in this Well, let practice? me defend the dentists, yeah. Paul, because, you know, I, and I know you're not taking a yeah. ride at the dentist, uh, but, you know, the, uh, I think it's that just in the world and just, you know, we're all sort of, used to, I'm going to get approved to buy a house, right. right? And so how much money can I afford to pay? Because a house doesn't throw off, you know, income. Right. So, you know, it's, it's how much are you able to afford to pay? Now, you still have to get an appraisal, right? So right. the bank won't lend you whatever, you know, a million dollars to buy a house that only appraises for $500,000, right. regardless of how good your, your money situation is. But, you know, because the house doesn't throw off income, the, the bank is not as concerned about, about you know, the, 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 the performance of the, the actual real estate. You know, but in a practice, it's all about what the practice right. does. And, that, and that's so getting pre-approved. This goes for buyers and sellers even, too. When somebody says, yeah, the buyer's been pre-approved. Right. Well, so what? You know, like. Uh, I would practice. And I, and I use this team theme with the, the Robs, the accountants and the attorneys. And this is like. If you said to uh, uh, Steph Curry that he said, we should shoot three-point shots every shot, and the tall guy might say, well, that's not going to work out 
for the team all the time. So I think with the bank, it's why you want a team on your side to cross check each other, because you might say, I know the bank is incredibly positive about your success here, but make sure that this is the right deal for you, because after they give you this, this loan, they're not going to be part of this transaction anymore. Right. And I think that's just why it's like responsible decision making. And I can see how the dentist can get overwhelmed. I've made decisions. I work with bad decisions, work with dual rep brokers before I met you. I have overpaid for practices. I've not understood exactly what that meant when they pre-approve you. So that's why I think this LOI portion that we're digging into is such a key term. And I just think, you know, don't print one off the internet and huh. send it in and sign it because you really can get yourself in some burnt nachos. <laughs> yeah, and like just uh, again, we're we're running it back onto the nuts and bolts of the LOI, but yeah. there these these are really I think important topics too. I think understand too what a role of a good lawyer plays in in any transaction. Yeah. You know that and, and especially when it comes to LOIs and representing somebody who's buying a practice. A good lawyer is going to provide services beyond the mere preparation of the document right. itself, right? There is counseling that goes into into the into the representation. There's management of the transaction, doing the things that need to be done, making sure that liens are paid, that right. you know information is being collected, the things that need to happen to get you to closing in a way that you're protected to the to the utmost. Yeah. So, like you know, what one of the things we do as lawyers is to prepare documents, you know. But again, uh, in the world that we're we're in and moving towards, there's a lot of things that people can and try to do themselves, right. but it goes beyond just like the document. So sometimes people say, well, if somebody's going to do it for a lot cheaper, you know, right. but they're just going to, you know, it's that much just to do the document, like how much to, to prepare the agreement? Like, that's like, I wouldn't say a small part, but it somewhat is. It's really the, it's making you aware of, of what the impact is exactly. going to be on what you're signing. I mean, whether it's right. an associate agreement, an LOI, an asset purchase agreement, it's you saying, this is what this means here. You know, it made me think of a story as in Ohio lecturing and, uh, there were, the waiter was like, I ordered this dish and he was talking about the spice factor. And he's like, I think medium's good. And I got him to be like, I know what he's saying because if I pick the spiciest one, I'm probably not ready for it. So he was making me aware yeah. of ordering this dish. Uh -huh. He was a good server, right? Yeah, yeah. Instead of me just saying, I'll take the spiciest one and not be able to have taste, have my taste buds right. changed. So I think what lawyers do is very similar. It's like, hey, this is what this means. This is the impact that this has on you. It's not just... <laughs> a bunch of words on a paper, mm -hmm. you know, and I just think, exactly. I don't understand why dentists, they they never really like to pick the cheapest option when it comes to other things that they do. But for some reason, when they're building their team to make the biggest decision of their life, that's when they become like my grandmother clipping coupons from the 80s. <laughs> and I, it was, she was a wonderful grandmother, right. but yeah, you gotta save money on paper towels. The paper towels stink, you buy a new brand. right? <laughs> Your practice stinks. Very hard to return. Totally. The return policy on a practice, very bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, in fact, there is none. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's uh, really it's it's a good point. So let's just okay. So LOI, it's generally a non-binding yeah. document, which means that either party's not compelled to proceed. Um, there are certain binding aspects of it: confidentiality, perhaps exclusivity. Um, but you know, even though the key terms are not binding. It's still a really important document to get right. It's very difficult after you have agreed to something in an LOI to go back and change it yeah. in the actual agreement you know, without 
disrupting or jeopardizing the transaction. So we like to say it's hard to put the genie back like in the that. bottle, right? That you know, even though what you're asking for may not be that unreasonable, and let me just give you an example. If somebody is negotiating an LOI for a purchase of a practice and they agree as a buyer to a two-year, five-mile non-compete, in an, and generally speaking, most non-competes in practice sales are like five years. Yeah. And maybe it's an area that's would more justify a 15 to 20 right. mile non-compete. Well, and then they come to us and they say, well, here's the LOI. And I'm like, well, geez, this kind of needs to be five years and 20 right. miles. And then we put that in the document. And then the seller, rightfully so, says, well, we had that two year, five mile on the LOI. What are you yeah. doing? You know, and it it's gives like, you an opportunity. You're saying such good things because I've talked about this with a lot of, and I'm a big fan, you know, I'm a big fan of Gary Vee and he says, I changed my mind, but like changes to most people are so threatening, but blank slates are not, right? So it's like, if you say to the, if the, if the, if you, if the seller says, I want to work for three years post-sale and you don't ask anybody. And then someone goes, you can't have this person work three years post-sale. It's, it's a one dentist practice. Yeah. And you go, I want you to do six months. Now their whole expectations are different. Right. But if you just say, hey, why don't we figure this out together with our teams? It's the corollary to the um, financial part, right? right? Here's the reason, because right. it's a one dentist practice right. and you seller have never had an associate for one day. Mm -hmm. What makes you think there's enough for two of us here for the next 36 months? Right. You know, so. it's expectations. Right. We, I mean, we're probably going to say that word, you know, 20 times today, you know, yeah. expectations. And once you set those expectations, you know, it's hard to, hard to walk them back. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and the best way to deal with that is, Make sure that when you set those expectations, you're offering something that you know, understand, and are prepared to be able I love to follow through that's, with. That's my signature. I, I, I have two daughters and the four-year-old who's totally insane. Um, I never mentioned we're maybe going to get ice cream because if I mention it, we better be getting ice cream or someone's right. getting upset. So exactly. I would never not give an LOI for ice cream, right? So it's like, it's such key to say, or do you want to fulfill those things? I think what you've said many times over the past few years of us doing this is like, attorneys can't like battle this out like it's a courtroom drama, right, for yeah. you, where you want to kind of get this going in the right direction yeah. from the start. Right. I mean, if there, and there, there's too much brain damage at this at right. this stage, like that's oftentimes, if I'm not going to say a red flag, an orange-ish flag. But you also, I mean, as a dentist and a broker, you get to learn some answers to questions that might just be deal enders, right? I mm -hmm. mean, and good, don't invest more time, don't invest more money and just move on. You know, yep. you're going to, you're going to, the seller's going to give you a lot of answers at that question at that time and buyer too. So right. I think, you know, it's a, it's a perfect example of, I think the process of buying a practice is actually often a really good one. It goes mm -hmm. in like up steps with more meaningful interaction, right. kind of more meaningful, um, uh, buy-in and quotes, you know, mm -hmm. you did mention, I mentioned too, that I don't usually get involved with deposits during the LOI because that seems to be a hassle, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that uh, within this unenforceable document from a legal standpoint, the deposit becomes this like weird thing. If neither party is compelled to proceed, what happens to the deposit? If yeah, they who's don't? holding it? Where's it going? Where are the terms? We're putting $5,000 somewhere. Right. What if there's a dispute? And if there's a dispute, how much are you going to spend disputing the $5,000? I like, find it, it to be like uh, what they're asking, like you said, is, is really insignificant to the deal anyway. So it just seems to be a hassle factor, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So we don't even want any parts of it. Um, the uh, but let's talk about purchase price too, because now you know as we say that it's important to 
you know, train expectations in this LOI and it's hard to walk things back. We are, you know, here we are in 2023, still very much a seller's market. Yeah. So in a situation where you have, you're a buyer and there are competitive offers, uh, you may not have the luxury of kicking the tires in the practice and doing sufficient due diligence to know that when you offer that number, that that number makes sense. So in, in the perfect world, you may have a lot of practice information, financials, kind of a good grasp of what yeah. you think things are worth, but that takes time. You know, it's not like you sure. just call up the, the dental focused CPA and you're like, hey, Jared, you know, I've got this thing. Uh, can you take a look at it? Yep, I'll look at it tomorrow and get right, back yeah. to you the next day. Like, you know, people try to accommodate that, but, you know, you don't always have the the luxury of and I think lining up all, all, all your ducks before you make that make that. You're making offer. a really good point because I know people who I'm friendly with who have counseled, I said, why didn't you ask me this question? I mean, they lost out on a really good practice over like $100,000 and it was mm -hmm. foolish. Right. Because they could be in that practice yeah, doing that right. dentistry. It would have, I just so everyone understands, you're, you're, you have 120 payments to pay off that extra money. It is insignificant to your income. And they said, one of our advisors said it wasn't worth it. I said, sometimes the accountant is looking at it like an endodontist as a root canal specialist, and you need a general dentist. You might need a coach. You might need a consultant because they're not necessarily wrong because they think mm -hmm. about the root canal and the, and the finances. Right, sure. Right, right. But you haven't really told them that this is where you want to live. Yeah. And there might not be another one of these opportunities. And if you would ask this to me, I would say, the bank's giving the money, give it to the seller. Yeah. Because especially once it gets over seven figures and practices like that, I mean, I think what you said, Rob, was right. But as a broker, I'll say it's a seller's market for practices that are substantial in income. Mm -hmm. Not for the $600,000 practices, but you're talking mm -hmm. about what, if the practice is 1.4 million uh, collections, they're going to get a lot of interest mm -hmm. from multiple buyers, mm -hmm. types of buyers. Right. But I mean, and to your point too, I mean, if you, know, you could say, well, you know, it's not worth that. And so, you know, 18 months later, you find another practice that is quote unquote worth it. And, you know, you make $200,000 less a year. Right. Like, congratulations. I'm not sure what you, what you gain by that. I mean, obviously you can't vastly overpay for things. But um, so, you know, and so you may be in a situation where you have to just sort of trust sort of the vague representations that have been made as to the yeah. value of this practice, throw in that offer and then do your due diligence. But it can be tricky because, uh, you know, and sometimes it is real. They, they, you know, it's like you have an LOI for 925 and the accounts looking at the saying like, this is 675 on yeah. a good day, you know, so, and now- It's that, always the delta in the difference, right? So it's like, right. you know, the higher the practice gets in, in purchase price, the less $100,000 matters. But, you mm -hmm. know, a third of it always is going to matter. Sure. You know? and But that's tough because yeah. now now you've got an LOI for that higher number. And now you're going to come back and say, well, you know, it's non-binding. My CPA did the cash flow analysis. And, you know, we think it's 675. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'd be surprised if two out of 10 times that happened that that deal hasn't, you know, just completely died. And I, and I always want to say, I know we've wrapped sooner, but like, it's always interesting to me that the valuations could be drastically far apart. However, I did go to a broker conference once, and this was a fun game, Rob. They played it right. for like a gift certificate. It was pretty amazing. Uh -huh. So they got all the brokers and different teams. They do this every year, and they give them the, the deal, and they tell all the teams to come up with different prices, mm -hmm. and then they tell you what the practice would sell for. Uh -huh. 
they're all way different. Yeah. I saw sure. one that was from 750 to like 1.4 million by brokers. So it does yeah. kind of share, show you that even people who do this every day uh-huh. can have wildly different assessments of value. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's because it's hard to assign value yeah. to this and it's worth different things to different people. It's not like you can look at a high rise condo building and, and you know, kind of develop what the comp sales right, on yeah. what the value is on the appraisal pretty you know pretty close to what That's it's going to go think for the, but not with Perdomo I wish I could do the, a visual of this cuz I think the real estate market contaminates Dennis' mindset because you think, oh, I live in Center City, Philadelphia. If Mary and I wanted to buy a home, we could go on Zillow and have 20 different options by tonight. And I think Dennis, if you look from a bird's eye view into uh Philadelphia County mm-hmm. and you saw how many practices were for sale right now that did over a million dollars, you would see so few dots that it should give you some context right. that it's not a candy store. It's not a real estate market where if you don't like the one on 15th and Walnut, yeah. there's going to be one on 7th and Chestnut next yeah. week. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Great point. So yeah, with purchase price, obviously that's an important thing in the LOI. If there is going to be some sort of seller note, you know, where even on if real estate is involved with the transaction where possibly the seller is selling the practice and the real estate, you may have uh, where they're holding a note for what it would be that down payment essentially on the real estate. You would want the terms of that note in the LOI. Yeah. Is it a 10-year term, 20 years? Is it a five-year term with a 10-year amortization? What interest rate? Like those types yeah. of details I think are good to capture yeah. there because um, they're very much business points uh, in if it's a practice that uh, would justify the seller staying on for some period of time after the closing as an associate how's that seller going to be compensated yeah. you know percentage of collections production per diem yeah. how long will they stay um, and a lot of times we like to see the covenant not to compete expressed yeah. in the uh, in the LOI as well. Um, and then, you know, lastly, I would say too, if the seller owns the real estate and the real estate is not going to be sold in connection with the practice sale, then uh, we'd like to see some mention as to what the lease terms yeah. are going to be. You know, we'd want to see a good, you know, ten-year at least lease term with some renewal terms. Is it a gross lease, which means that you pay the rent and yeah. and utilities and nothing else? Is it a triple net lease, which means that in addition to the rent, the buyer tenant is also responsible for paying for the expenses, yeah. the maintenance, the insurance, the real estate. Years taxes. ago, I had a great consultant. Uh, Sadly, he wanted to pass away, but he was great early in my life. And it really inspired me. And he would say triple and eight lead so often, and I would never have the courage to ask what that meant. But now that I lease, it just means you pay more as the tenant. Right? Yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> and you go, that means you're expensive as the tenant. Yeah, well, I mean, as the tenant. sometimes it can be, you know, as much as $9 a square foot yeah. or more, you know? So if somebody says, well, it's $21 a square foot. That looks pretty good. Yeah, the triple nets are nine uh, fifty. And so, I also think like, like the red being being someone who's rented places in Philadelphia and having good landlords, they sometimes trip over themselves to be good customer service people, right? Because mm-hmm. they want you to keep staying there. So they say, oh, we will come and, you know, do this light and things. But in my dental life where I rent, it feels like they want nothing to do with that's anything it. inside of the Well, <laughs> commercial mean, leases are very yes, different, right. you know, and that's just the so nature just of the beast. I think my context was way off. Right. You know, but, but your context, it's just like everybody else's. I mean, you know, people are doing these deals for the first and maybe yeah. only time, as we said. So you, we all bring our experience to right. the table and you think, well, it's a lease. A lease is a lease, right? Well, your apartment lease, your residential lease is entirely different right. from what your practice and lease is. A commercial lease is just economics, the terms of in there, who's responsible for what? I mean, a 
generally speaking, a residential lease is somewhat consumer tenant protective. Yeah. And the uh, commercial lease, it's com- it's flipped around times 10, you yeah, know, yeah, basically. Yeah. For sure. Um, so, uh, you know, these are some of the things that we would typically like to see or expect to see in letters of intent. Every deal is different. Some special considerations, if there are any, should always be spelled yeah. out. And really, I think as much as anything for everybody involved, the more you kind of have the difficult questions or tackle the difficult issues right. at this time, you know, make sure you're on the same page before you spend time, money, and let months go by going back and forth to make sure you're on the same page with as much stuff that matters as possible. There's always going to be things that come up in the actual agreements, but if you could tackle as much as possible at the LOI stage, it really helps that uh, agreement preparation review and negotiation process go a lot smoother. Totally agree with you. All right. Well, Paul, as always, fun chatting. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you like today's podcast, you know, please uh, go on your favorite podcast app and give us a good review. And until the next time, thank you. Awesome, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.